Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, you've heard about them, right? The non-elected technocrats who are running the world. Men who sit in back rooms away from the limelight determining how we live, taking control of the planet bit by bit, subverting the course of democracy for some ulterior motive that is never really explained by the conspiracy theorists. Why are they doing this? Uh, There's one area where democracy is shunted aside for non-elected decision makers. That's in the work of central banks. Is that what the conspiracy theorists are worried about? In which case, maybe I'll join them. Today, who are the secret men, and nobody has ever suggested they are women, who are the secret men running the world on the Debunking Economics podcast with Steve Keen? I'm Phil Dobby, and shh, you never know who's listening. Now, Steve, I made a mind suggested this one uh, because someone he knows is one of these big conspiracy theorists. There's a dangerously increasing number of these people around. Uh, but this is one that, you know, is believing that governments around the world are trying to move us off cash so they can see what we're doing and use that to control our behavior. Now, central banks do try and control our behavior. Of course, that's why they're pushing up interest rates now. But he's talking about the whole China style behavior control where the state keeps an eye on what you're spending and perhaps rates you as an individual accordingly, which uh, actually sounds a bit like the insurance industry to me. That's what they do. Uh, But this all stems from Klaus Schwab uh, at the World Economic Forum, the guy who started the World Economic Forum two years ago, who said that the uh, the time is now right for the Great Reset, uh, which some people are very fearful of uh, because they see that this means unelected representatives gaining control, like central banks, and uh, challenging our civil liberties. So, uh, yeah, should unelected representative steve be able to see what we're doing with our money i think that's perhaps a good start point should they okay i've got to start from one point here which you you, i've been hearing people saying this stuff including friends of mine i've got two i won't name names obviously but two friends i know quite intelligent people they're starting to come up with all this conspiracy stuff thing you know dan uh, dan andrews having gone to a world economic forum thing and uh, jacinda ahern having gone to one and therefore that explains why they they did their policies about uh, lockdowns which were completely different to everybody else went to the same two bloody forums ended up being a government leader somewhere but anyway i said the people who you think are trying to run the world couldn't plan lunch <laughs> okay well i know some of these people okay i'm not sure but the one the one that i think of uh, all the time is one of the i think he's still one of the three people in charge of the european central banker peter pratt mm. and i call him i call him peter pratt I've, I've rarely met anybody who's as deluded as him. Um, that's there are you know, there are plenty, but he's so obviously deluded, and he he, he believes the neoclassical textbook. And that's what he's sprouting when he's saying what the ECB's actions are going to be. I remember going to a seminar once, which was a business seminar in Germany, and he was the first speaker, I was the second. And he said it's important for the public to have confidence in what the central bank is doing. And I could, you could feel the audience, who were all people from the financial sector, Every, whatever ounces of confidence I had in the central bank were just going down as long as Peter Pratt continued speaking. Um, so the idea that people like him in positions of authority 
are planning something and know what they're doing, um, the, the, the two, those two hypotheses simply aren't on the same planet. Yes, they're planning something. Do they know what they're doing? They haven't got a damn clue. They're using the wrong the wrong uh, toolbox to talk about it uh, and and they're and what they're doing it looks like a plan is is normally if there's any element of planning to it it's making up for the the stuff up for the previous plan they did that's just finished <laughs> all right okay but but what is it that they are planning so so klaus Schrab uh said the pandemic represented a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect reimagine and reset our world to create a healthier, more equitable and more prosperous future. And I think he was basically saying, you know, this will rely on more digital technology. So we used contact tracing apps, for example, you know, which might, might have been fine during mm-hmm. a pandemic. But do we want governments actually to be able to see where we are and, and what we might be doing, which is why you start to get into this. Well, it's useful for that, but we really don't want this to go too far because we will end up like like China. Uh, well, if, you, if, you, if, if you backtrack and see where the ideas of, 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 of abolishing cash came from, hmm. they, they came out of the, again, neoclassical economics because the, uh, the idea that, uh, that central banks had, because they're all staffed by you – know, all, all the, all the, there's a handful of non-neoclassical thinkers in central banks these days, but the vast majority of them are true believers in neoclassical theory. Now, as part of neoclassical theory, you believe that if, the, if a bank has extra reserves, it can lend those reserves out. Yeah. Okay. And, and they also believe, and this is, this is where it comes, this is the, the key thing for um, this particular policy, they believe that people's daily consumption is affected by the interest rate because, you know, you, you know what you're doing when you go shopping. You're planning for the infinite future. You know, you're sitting down there and saying, "What's going to happen to my great 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 grandson and daughter uh, as I go and buy this bottle of milk?" Okay, and therefore, if you increase the interest rate, uh, that's going to make the uh, uh, the devalue the future. Um, so you've got to go buy buy more milk now. <laughs> And then if, if the government runs a deficit, that means got to, you know it's got to be taxed in the future. So you're going to spend less when the government runs a deficit. All this stuff is built into a whole range of simply... Is it really that complicated? Theory. I thought I thought you'd just do interest rates go up, you've got less money because you're paying a higher mortgage, so therefore you've got less money no, to buy stuff. Am I simply, oversimplifying things? Yeah, they, 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 they literally have an ass-about-tit vision of how the world operates. So they mm. think if you, if you create money now, people will spend less. And if you don't create money now, people will spend more. Because uh, and this, this came out of what's called the... Uh, uh, oh, this is a guy's name. It's called Ricardian equivalence. Yeah, this is one of one of the many hot topics inside the brains of neoclassical economists. And this one came out because of the the guy who dreamt up this piece of bullshit named Robert Barrow, who's an arch conservative neoclassical economist. Um, I believe part of the motivation was that he he found himself being charged too much what he thought was too much money to get a toilet fixed in a in a, a, a house he owned in Italy, and he decided to screw the Italian working class. That's that's one of the little lines I've heard. Don't 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 quote me on that one. But no, yeah, I think you just quoted yourself, Steve. I, I quoted myself, but that's the. <laughs> <laughs> well, on a anyway. podcast, you do know people listen to this, don't you? Oh but damn! What a, what a pain. <laughs> anyway, uh, you see, he's, he was put this idea to say that the government a government deficit actually reduced private spending, and the idea was that you everybody knows the government has to pay its debt back, and that again is another case of neoclassical bullshit. Mm. But if you're assuming everybody knows what what is what is bullshit about the world economy, which neoclassical economists believe. Then if the government runs a deficit, everybody knows there's going to have to be extra taxes in future. So what that means is you will now save money 
uh, to give as a, as a bequest to your great, 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 great grandchild so that they can pay the high rate of tax in the future. Now, the reason I'm saying great, 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 great is that uh, one of the objections that ne- neoclassical economists put forward to this idea that people will, uh, if, if the government runs a deficit, um, know that there's got to be future taxes and therefore they'll save money to pay the future taxes. The argument was, well, what if this happens outside your lifetime? You're not going to, you know, if, if you, you're only going to be putting that money aside if you think you've got to pay it. And Barrow, and this is virtually a quote, Barrow said, "This argument fails uh, if people uh, uh, plan with an infinite future. If people are putting aside um, money to pay future taxes out of." What's the word that economists can't can't say? Generosity? Altruism. That's right. He actually used altruism, altruistic behavior by individuals, as a reason to demolish an argument against his hypothesis. Now, neoclassical economists regard altruism as brain disease, fundamentally. You've got to be doing it for your own self-interest. But here, to, to, to hang on to an argument to say that, yes, it doesn't matter when the taxes are going to be levied in the future, you will make a bequest in the future, and therefore government spending now will cause you to spend less. Right. So getting back on track, how does this relate to the idea? I mean, the, the, I think there's two different arguments in this, yeah. uh, in, in these conspiracy theories. One is that, you know, is the whole... T- technocracy thing if that's the way you pronounce it but about just you know we're going to use technology a great deal more uh, in in the future and and that's going to be used for surveillance purposes and the other side is you know which is like the the China approach about about controlling behaviour so if you you play too many video games or you drive Mm. badly that's going to add to your social ranking score and the penalties are well I've heard you know that theoretically your internet could slow down or you you have a stop on travelling and that does seem to be applying but from what I also read is actually it's not happening a great deal in China this attempt as you're you're saying at the beginning this attempt to try and get all this data together uh, even if that was the plan it's not it's not really working that well Well, but yeah but I wanted to backtrack to the interest rate argument because they believe if if they 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 actually want people to spend money then they think well we should lower interest rates yeah okay okay but the thing said well but the possibility is that people can take uh, we, we want people to spend more. We want to encourage more consumption. That was the major factor back around in the post in the post financial crisis. Well, they say, how do we stimulate consumption? And the argument was, well, they, they were against saying you could run a, run a deficit. They thought that wouldn't stimulate spending when it does stimulate spending. But they also thought that the interest rates going down would encourage people to spend more now. And then they found people weren't because they couldn't have money in cash. And they thought, well, if everybody only has money in deposit accounts, then this this, our theory has to work because cash was something they couldn't affect the, the uh, they couldn't the, control they yeah, could, couldn't control mm. so the, the idea was well let's abolish cash and then you know we can um, we can whatever we do to try to affect consumption in our mathematical models of the real world which were total fiction um, that will then flow through to the real world and like at the time I said look the, I'm, it was against the abolition of cash because the last thing I wanted was people who don't understand money in control um, of it control of money, abolishing part of the money that at least is free from their machinations. So it was a stupid idea. It didn't work uh, and then they pulled away from the idea of central bank digital currencies but now it's coming back in again uh, as an idea for this so-called But how are they seeing themselves controlling it? So if if we had the the Bank of England or the Fed or whoever had their own own digital currency, how are they seeing controlling it? 
And, and well, this, this comes back to their theories. This is if you you have to read uh, papers on real business cycles and dynamic stochastic general equilibrium models to see what their reasoning is. And they have what they call the Euler equation inside there. And the, uh, this is denigrating another great mathematician. But the idea of the, their so-called Euler equation is that people's spending is affected by the interest rate. So if interest rates, and I've, I've forgotten which way. I mean, I, I, see, I see this as trying to read somebody's epicycles in a, in a, in a, a map of the solar system. At a certain point, I get lost and which epicycle was supposed to do what I think it's all garbage to begin with but a, a large part of they see either interest rates going up will spend, encourage spending or interest rates going down will encourage spending but cash is a loophole so let's close the loophole and I thought, oh, God, for Christ's sake, let's not abolish cash while these morons are in charge of the system. Uh, and the morons are still in charge. But how do, they, the more, how do they see yeah. controlling it other than changing, uh, it, uh, changing it, it, because, interest rates? Because their equation tells them that people's consumption today, your shopping, is affected by the rate of interest. No, but why is that going to make any difference whether it's cash or a digital currency? Because with the, with the ca- with they, they can control if, – if, if cash is, is money in the system, they can control the interest rate being charged on loans. They can control the interest rate being – paid on deposits to some degree and that then affects your mentality but if cash is there it's it's outside the system so they 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 really thought that abolishing cash would be something which would enable their theory to work better in the real world but it is increasingly outside outside this i mean there's very little cash these days as a proportion of all the money that's in circulation most of it is sitting in bank accounts which they do have an influence over it's a convenience i mean they they were trying to abolish cash completely now uh, that's that's for me. That's like throwing away the life jackets on the Titanic. Mm. Okay, I, I w- even if you're not using the life jackets, I want them there. So, particularly given this is that a bunch of morons are in charge of central banks. Not so much a bunch of they've been they're not morons. They're intelligent people who've been lobotomized by studying and swallowing neoclassical economics. So the, these are the ones supposed to be doing a conspiracy. Give me a break. But um, I'm I'm having difficulty understanding the, both sides of the argument on this. I'm mean, yeah. having difficulty understanding what the conspiracy theorists are actually fearful of. But I'm also yeah. having difficulty understanding what it is that the central banks are actually trying to achieve themselves if they were to go down this this currency road. Because it sounds like, you know, they've got all the control. I mean, if, if, if they believe that the, you know, the, the lever they need is interest rates and that's all they need, um, then they've got that because the vast majority of cash is sitting in bank accounts and they're controlling uh, interest rates, which determines, you know, how much it costs to borrow. And, and you know, they've, they've got all of that already. I mean, it's only like, what, what is it? One Less than 3% of, of all the money that's in yeah, circulation. I'd, I'd, need that's in to go, I'd need to go back and read some of the articles. So they're written back in the 2010s about uh, how, how cash caused a breakdown in their models but fundamentally it did and therefore one of the solutions well let's let's abolish cash then so the world this is again the typical neoclassical thing uh the real world doesn't work as well as our textbooks work let's make the real world more like our textbooks right so their idea of a, of a cashless society is that there would be the central bank would act as the the, the clearinghouse which it which it does now the, where all transactions are, are managed between banks but it would just be digital, yeah. which it is now yeah. anyway. So in yeah, effect, they're saying, well, it's a digital currency, but it's, it's what we've got now yeah. anyway. We're just going to remove the cash yeah, component so like of it. We're, we're just we're just going to stop printing. We're just going to f- stop printing physical money. Uh, we're just going to manage all transactions as we do by and large now yeah. anyway uh, on a digital basis. Yeah. Now that, and like, uh, ironically, I'm in favour of central bank digital currencies, but not for the reason that central banks are putting them forward. Well, but they, they forward. basically mm. stopped them doing it because they realised that there was a possibility that people, if they could transfer... If you could transfer your liabilities, your bank account from um, 
um, from the private bank to a central bank, then that would force the central bank's assets, uh, the private bank's assets, to fall as well, and you could have an implosion of the of the private banking system. So all the ideas about moving, uh, having digital currency accounts at the central bank, which were equivalent to your cash accounts, and you could transfer money between them, that all stopped. Uh, when they realised well, this could actually undermine the financial system. So for once, uh, in that case, they made what I'd see as a sensible decision uh, about the dangers there. You can't have open transfer between these digital accounts and the accounts we have in our, our private banking systems. Uh, uh, so so that was realistic. But, but back to the conspiracy stuff. I mean, when you know what the model is they're using, you realise that, yes, they can be conspiring, but they don't have a damn idea what's actually going to happen in the real world when that conspiracy comes to effect. And that's why I find it so nonsensical of people talking about all this planning and central control and stuff like that. I said, these guys can't plan lunch. But is, is a part of this people who are behind uh, cryptocurrencies? So they say, well, you know, cryptocurrencies, you know, this takes us, this is one step away from that authoritarian approach to surveillance uh, you know, you can have you can have money, you can undergo your transactions, and you, you can verify that they're bona fide. But you're not going to have the authorities tracking you. Uh, and so they, you know, the, the moment central banks start talking about, well, you know, we, we might actually start a digital currency as well, then understandably people go, OK, so you want us to go from this this utopia that we have now where uh, we can use money around the world without authorities uh, seeing what we're doing. You want to go to the other extreme as an alternative to do something where actually you can see everything we're doing and it's all under your control. So that would be that would be the reason why we start to see quite easily, I think, uh, these conspiracy theories start to emerge. Yeah, um, but the con- I don't mind. I mean, there are conspiracies all the time. Um, the mm. thing is, they're normally, they've got to be done by a small cabal of people with massive self-interest, or whether that's money or ideology. Uh, and most of the time when they do it, it'll fuck up. It won't work out the way they want it to. And then their next action is going to be trying to, cor- uh, to uh, cope with the unintended consequences of the previous failed conspiracy. That's, that's the only way in which I'm willing to wear a conspiracy theory. But the idea that this is all centrally coordinated and people is, is different in their approach to the a pandemic as Dan Andrews and Boris Johnson are all on the same side somehow being centrally directed by people in the World Economic Forum. Oh, for Christ's sake, what did you have for lunch? You know, I mean, mm. maybe maybe, a conspir- maybe you ate something these guys tried to cook and it's poisoned your brain. Uh, it, it is just ridiculous. Well, and then, and, a- and why? Why would these people? So this, I mean, when I was having this beer conversation with, and obviously it was a beer conversation, we we're talking conspiracy theories for God's sake, yeah. but this beer conversation I was having with a mate of mine which prompted this podcast. And he's saying, oh yeah, well his mate, and it was wasn't him. He wasn't saying, I've got yeah, this friend yeah. who believes this, because he, he doesn't believe in any of this. But he was saying his mate uh, believes, you know, that there are a small number of people, unelected representatives, who are controlling this agenda, and we don't know who they are. I said, so that's interesting, because what, what, what would the end game be? We can understand mm. dictators, for example, wanting to control stuff, because it's like they're trying to, you know, because they're dictators, it's what they do. Yeah, it's yeah, the, it's the, the feeling of, the of power. But there's absolutely no reason to have a feeling of power if no one knows who you are. You know, it's, it's so. Why would people in dark rooms be trying to control the agenda? What would be their aim uh, if we don't know who they are? Surely they'd want to come out and say, "Look, I did this. I've got all this power." Otherwise, you know, what is the motivation yeah, for these yeah, people? It, it, uh, it's re- the, 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 the unelected representatives will normally be as I said, graduates of a, of a neoclassical economics program. So if you want to see what Working they're trying banks. to do, yeah, central banks, but even even like the World Economic Forum and places like that, I don't know what, what's mm. the top bloke there? 
I forgot. I don't know his name. <laughs> the well, the guy, who, the, Klaus Schwab is the guy who started it. So okay, yeah, Klaus Schwab. The, yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. Uh, I've got to look up his background, but but it, you, you'll find he's an engineer, Steve. Oh, that's okay. You, 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 he's got a few brain cells. <laughs> he hasn't lost his completely. That's good to know. Okay, uh, but they they will have these uh, ideas which themselves within their framework can actually be quite laudable. I mean, you know, you mm. let, let's reduce uh, incidences of cholera and in the third world by planning a water supply, blah, blah, blah. And, and let's bring over foreign leaders from these countries to uh, to try to get them to adopt Western values rather than Chinese values or Russian values, blah, blah, blah. They'll be doing that all the damn time. Um but then the, the idea that there's some central control from the top, you know, Klaus Schwab all the way down to your your regional um, manager of a, of a housing authority is just ridiculous. And like, mm. if you, when you work inside organisations as well, and you see political uh, alignments inside and internal rivalries and stuff like that, the idea that there's some monolithic structure from the top to bottom is just bollocks. And and this is uh, people if, if, if even. Even looking at your own own social circles, I mean, the idea that there's this conformity of thought and execution of thought, and nobody questions orders coming from the top, um, you know, that again, that requires your dictator personality and and those and 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 those sorts of shared beliefs from top to bottom, through from Hitler down through the SS. Um, to get those sorts of things happen, and they 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 are small and well, they, they they can be brutal, but they collapse. But there's nothing like that here, and you'll have internal uh, you know people positioning themselves uh, to be a, a rival. Like for example, in the OECD, we now have a highly conservative leader of the OECD who's being normally supported by most of the staff but opposed by others. There's struggles internally inside that organisation. The organisations that are supposed to be giving these orders are not monolithic in them themselves. And if they are monolithic to any degree, it's because they share the same false beliefs about how the world economy operates. Well, I'm not quite sure exactly how Klaus Schwab, I mean, his aims seemed uh, very noble, didn't they? That were, you know, peace and harmony and uh, whatever else it was he was, uh, he was he was promising as part of this uh, great reset. Uh, but, he, you know, he made the point as well, you know, the time is very short. And I suspect the time has passed anyway, because, uh, you know, we're already seeing a lot of opposition to the idea of more information being used to... Uh, uh, better mankind i guess but i wonder whether um you know if, if we saw this happening in steps and is there a danger in this so for example uh, who wants to survey us more the tax office obviously so they want more in the way of digital records so they can see that we don't cheat they track you know how money is being sent over overseas um even outside the the realm of the tax office everything we're doing these days is dependent on your credit score that means people are getting access to your credit short, uh, score uh, insurance companies mm-hmm. want to you know track everything from your your driving behavior to you know your your claims the previous claims you've made you go online you're tracked by companies that are using that data to target your advertising to make sure you know the appropriate advertising is being uh, 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 targeted at you. Well, but in America now, I think half of everything that's bought is bought through Amazon. Uh, so they, you know, they have a, an idea of your your shopping behaviour. We've got over five million surveillance cameras in the UK. And most of those are owned by private companies. They're not working together, obviously, to mm. create a map of of where you are. But all those ingredients are there. I mean, if yeah, they well, were joined we, we, together, we, they'd be quite formidable. We've got, we've got that already at the commercial mm. level. And, like, if yeah. we, for example, and this is one little factoid I learned recently, uh, in assessing your credit card score, uh, and if you actually apply for this online using your, uh, your, your, your smartphone, 
the level of the battery charge in your smart zone is used as part of the uh, which which can be inquired of um, you know by, by yep. metadata. Um, that that is part of how they assess your credit score. Well, how much battery power you've got? Well, well you, why? Yes, what? yes. If your battery power is low, people who it's a, the, the, this again the statistical analysis of large labs of data, but people whose phones were low charge ended up be higher credit risks than those people whose phones were generally high. Really, charged. I always thought that if they're low, that means they're actually out really doing stuff to, rather than sitting at home with their phone plugged into the mains. <laughs> you would have thought. You, want, you, you might think so, but in fact, it's assessed in the opposite way by financial institutions. Uh, but anyway, that's the, the, that's the uh, it's already happening, but it's been done in a commercial venture. And what they're now seeing is this idea of some bloody grounds conspiracy to turn us all to a bunch of Soviet citizens. Give me a break. It's all about making a profit out of it, not about, uh, um, you know, trying to control our individual but but behavior. They simply want to get more, more of that, more of the cash we've got in our bank account being directed to their individual corporations, all of whom but are competitors. You can see that the tax office wanting to know everything, which obviously they do, the more that they can get to, so that they can more accurately uh, put algorithms to make sure that you're paying the right amount amount of tax that is only going to get worse some people would say it's only going to get better because Mm. everybody should be paying their fair share of tax but if you were looking at a conspiracy Mm. theory and think where might this start uh where is the uh, the computer system that's eventually going to take over mankind and destroy us all i think it would probably start in the tax office wouldn't it <laughs> well, again, really stuff up how the system works because, again, they think they're financing government spending, and fundamentally they're not. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it, again, the, the whole idea of conspiracy theories involves a level of intelligence and knowledge of how the system operates, and a level of coordination which are orders of magnitude different to the knowledge and coordination people actually have. Right. So, the genuine benefits of a great reset. Then, what would that what would that look like? What is he talking about? Because I mean, it probably won't happen because we do have privacy concerns and this fear of unelected representatives driving the public agenda. But I mean, when you when you hear the term "great reset," what do you think of? I think of another failed bloody slogan, Frank. Okay. Do you think then there's an opportunity with with technology and potential for a change in behaviour, given that we've all been through a pandemic and maybe our attitudes are different, whether we call it the Great Reset or anything? Is there, is there something there that you think, you know, there's an opportunity now for us to do things differently, which actually would be better for society or better for the, I dare say, because you're going to go off well, on a tangent, like, like, better for the planet. Well, frankly, on, on that front, I, I want to see central bank digital currencies develop so that we have some potential for rationing when we find ourselves in a, in, in a, a potentially calamitous collapse in economic output from a collapse in energy availability and, and more and more severe uh, extreme weather events uh, caused by climate change. So I think uh, I, I, that the so rationing what you buy, so you can't buy. Yeah. Yeah, right. Okay. So we wouldn't because ration we, the amount of money in circulation. You just so say, you well, ration, okay. ration the amount of consumption because we are going to we we are we're using far too much energy. Uh, we're pumping far too much carbon dioxide, in it, which means we're trapping more of the sun's energy. Uh, uh, all these are coming together at once, and we're likely to have a, a collapse. Uh, it's a system relying upon private profit is likely to collapse. Mm. And so in that situation, you need more government money creation and you need a way to ensure that people can still stay alive, get enough uh, energy in, uh, in without going bankrupt in the process. Because at the moment, what you can see with energy prices is uh, ultimately means the poor can't afford to keep warm, which is going to be great when next next December comes around. Um, so uh, is it, it, one extreme. And then at the other, they can't afford to keep cool. If you have a, 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 a wet bulb temperature catastrophe somewhere in America or in Asia, um, 
then you'll get bills you can't pay in your air conditioning and you, you know the, the price of staying alive is going bankrupt yeah. um, so in that world you're going if, if we only have a monetary system uh, for exchange um, then we're going to have uh, Arab Spring type political effects right but then, people, we're, 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 then, then we're getting into this idea which is a, still, a brilliant idea and I, you know I, I do wonder whether this will get some traction where you know alongside uh, a functioning currency uh, you also have a, a, a series of credits that you're given for energy consumption and if you don't if you need more then you trade them with people who use less and that would not only help reduce the amount of energy consumption but would also help poorer people get richer because the wealthy people would probably be buying off the poor. Yeah, the, they, they, the whole idea of this was the, the rich would have to buy credits off the poor. poor. Yeah. And that's a brilliant be, system. I could Yeah. But then we but you know some people would say oh well that is uh, you know trying to put that in place that would be an example of this great reset and it's just a socialist agenda uh, from uh, to to try and uh, Get money off the rich and give it to the poor. It's just a socialist agenda for. That's how for, that's how it'll be portrayed, definitely. But mm. uh, the alternative is not is not socialism. Is Mad Max. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah, this this is what this is what scares me about because people are seeing a conspiracy and central control and stuff like that. I can see us heading to a world in which we all fall apart and into into warring tribes, and uh, and and there'll be access to physical military power uh, that determines whether you have uh, you know, whether you starve whether you stay alive or you starve. It's Mad Max. It's the Hunger Games, and. Um, uh, like the, those are the two extremes in one sense. So they're, they're both where you've got a, a, a rich, a, rich elite getting something and the rest getting nothing. The Mad Max is the, um, you know, the, the Fury Road type world where there's one oligarch at the top and everybody else is poor. Um, but the other extreme, the Hunger Games. That's well, the sort of future we face if we if we don't do it in a coordinated way, and that's you know we need some of this you know central planning, but not by the people who are doing it right now. Well, thank goodness, Steve, we're not in a situation where the wealthy elite are controlling the country. That would be awful, wouldn't it? Because that how would you that's see that? Capitalism, yeah. Because how would you how would that manifest itself? You'd have a series of uh, prime ministers in the UK who are all eaten, educated. That's mm. yeah. That's hardly it. You know, we're not going to see that sort of thing, are we? Look, they never, that will never happen. No, no, no. <laughs> so just as a closing note, I don't ever mention this movie to you before, and you might have seen it: The Rise and Rise of Michael Rimmer, who's a, it's a brilliant. Oh, that's Peter, a brilliant movie with uh, with, uh, Peter, with Peter Peter Cook. Cook. Yeah, it becomes a pro- movie. Prime Minister promising a vote on absolutely everything, and you see people being sent. Massive Buried of, uh, by documents, yeah. Yeah, uh, making decisions on international relations. I just remember this one scene where there's a guy, a, a fat guy in his in his vest, you know, his, his singlet, uh, poking out of the bottom of his vest and his wife uh, in a dressing gown, I think, where they're hair in curlers and he's in, mm-hmm. in, the, in a very small living room and he's saying, oh, I'm too tired now, I'm uh, I'm off to bed, darling, and his wife's there going, okay, I just need to finish my, uh, my position on China. Uh, I'll be in bed soon. You know, it's like they all just get hounded by all this paperwork. And in the end, he says, yeah, well, OK, there's going to be one last vote. Uh, so I promise if you if you vote for this future, uh, there'll be, you know, a never be another vote on anything again. And he basically Which meant he became a dictator. Yes, I know. Yeah, yeah, it was a brilliant one. So maybe it was. Yeah, so, again, yeah, maybe that's what we want at the end of the day. Maybe actually we want people to make all the decisions for us. And the more data we give them so they can make those decisions. It sounds like a horrific future, but we might vote for that. You know, Steve, we might actually accept that. Well, I think it's going to be climate change that forces us into it, and that again is something that the people in the top elites, generally speaking, aren't aren't aware of how serious it's going to be. So they're not they're not they don't know what's coming, and they can't plan for what's going to occur. Now, regular listeners to this podcast will have noticed last week we uh, got through the whole half hour without talking about climate change. 
Don't know. <laughs> it's, I wonder if we can do that again next week. Anyway, not sure what we'll talk about next week, but I'm sure it will be another corker. Good to talk, Steve. Catch you soon. Okay, no, bye. But the big question is, isn't it, for all those people who talk about unelected people in dark rooms making decisions, I mean, the question has got to be, why would they be doing that? Why do they want power if we don't know who they are? That's it for today. Back for another one next week. I'm Phil Dobby, back with Steve Keen then. Have a good week. See you soon. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.